Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. And I want to welcome you this morning if you're at uh, the Santon campus and at the Kailami campus. Great to be in church together, expectant and ready to receive the word. It's a good day to be alive. Can you say amen? Amen. Are you ready to receive the word? I want to begin by telling you an unlikely story this morning that some of you may have heard. Stephen Mansfield wrote an interesting book called The Search for God and Guinness. And in the book, he tells the story of the founder of the Irish beer, Arthur Guinness. And the story is interesting because the background to it is very important. During the 1600s, when Arthur Guinness was alive, people didn't understand where germs came from. So a lot of people drank from the same water that was used for sewerage. They drank from polluted rivers, and people were dying like flies all across the UK and all across Ireland. Some people decided not to drink water because they gathered that they were getting sick. They didn't know why. So they began to drink alcohol only. Well, you can imagine, human beings are not known for moderation. And so they ended up with a culture of crime and drunkenness. This period during the 1600s, historians called it the gin craze. And Parliament even forbid the importation of alcohol into Ireland and into the UK in 1689. Because at the time, every sixth house or, or, or um, restaurant, if you like, was known as a gin house. And this is what they used to advertise. Drunk for one penny, dead drunk for two pence, clean straw for nothing. In other words, you got on your ear, but then you were out of it, baby, and then they gave you straw to lie down on. I mean, pretty amazing. And so something needed to be done. And um, what people began to do is they began to start brewing beer. And they discovered that it was nutritious, it was good for the heart, and it was lower in alcohol. And so monks began to brew it. And if monks brewed it, well, then evangelicals would brew it. And if evangelicals would brew it, then entrepreneurs like Arthur Guinness began to brew it. And his beer took off. And he did extremely well, made a lot of money. Now, he was a Christian and he used to attend church regularly. Now, this isn't an endorsement for beer, so you can't just go home and go for it. But he was sitting under the preaching of Charles, uh, sorry, of John Wesley. He sat under the preaching of John Wesley, and John Wesley was a powerful preacher. He used to say, and he was speaking to business people. And he was saying, as he used to say, earn all you can, save all you can. Give all you can. Your wealth is an evidence of a calling from God. So use your abundance for the good of mankind. And Arthur Guinness was struck by that. He went away and used some of the business money. They were living extremely well. They were one of the upper classes. Began to give money and use money for the good of people. He founded the first Sunday schools in all of Ireland. That's where Sunday school started. And he then began to help and build hospitals. He then called on all the upper classes who he associated with rich people to not live so lavishly, but to begin to use their businesses for the glory of God. He passed that legacy on to his children and his descendants, and they began to pay the best wages in Ireland at his brewery. Not only that, his descendants, when it came to World War II, one of his family offered every soldier at Christmas time a free bottle of Guinness. Well, the soldiers had all been called up. So how were they going to produce it? Well, volunteers and retired people came in, and even people from competing breweries came to help make the Guinness 
so that the soldiers could have their beer. Today, Guinness has continued for 300 years. A stamp has even been issued in his honor, and they say that the sales in Ireland recently were 2 billion euros annually. Pretty amazing. This is my point this morning. Every type of legal work brings glory to God and can help people. And so you are in mostly in work, legal work, I trust. And you're going to work every day. And you need to realize that your work isn't unspiritual. Even if it's making beer, your work can be done for the glory of God and it can help people. Because most people are bitter. They're resentful. They go to a job that they hate. They put in half a day's work, even though they're there for a whole day. They feel grieved that the boss isn't paying them what they deserve. But you know what? You can't change where you start your vocation, but you can change your attitude. And through your work, if you have the right spirit, you can change the nation. I want to speak to you this morning on how to create in your working world. How to create in your working world. Because your work can bring glory to God, alleviate poverty, and bless people. And we tend to think it's spiritual when we're in church and unspiritual when we're outside church, but that's not the case. I want to read from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, our foundation verse that we've been focusing on this year. And I want to remind you of a few things, the mandate that's been given to us. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Very important word. Don't let life subdue you. Don't let your job drain you of energy. Don't let your problems destroy the strength and the spirit in you. You rule over life. And it says you rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, enhance the quality of life and create opportunities for other people. Don't just exist, but make a difference in your world. You see, the world, most people go to work and you know what they do? They occupy. They don't, they deplete and they maintain. But God says, no, I want you to go and create, improve, take the level, take, take the, 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 the work environment to another level. So what for? You see, money isn't the only goal. You need to understand how we were created. You know, in the Bible, there's what's called the law of first mention. The law of first mention is very interesting. When something's first mentioned, it sets a precedent for it for the rest of life and for the rest of scripture. So for instance, when you read about tithing, the law of first mention is that it should be given to the priesthood for the sustaining of the work of God. That doesn't change. People say, that's Old Testament. It's the law of first mention. When you read about Abram and Sarai, their names were changed. You read about the fact that when it's first mentioned, destiny was changed. So when you read about Peter, no longer will your name be Simon, but it'll be called Peter. Guess what? Destiny changed. So when you read about Adam, first mentioned, what he said about him, besides the fact that he let his wife, his wife run riot, what he said about him, it is said that he was created to work. So work is not a curse. Work is actually a blessing, even though it's frustrating. You were designed to create, even if you're not creative. See, most of us who read the word create, oh, I'm not creative. No, everyone can create. Even accountants, strangely enough, create. 
Sometimes they create falsehood, but they create. Are you with me? So let's read here in the book of Genesis chapter 2, because here we read about work, how we to create and develop and, and not deplete and neglect, which is what most countries are doing. Genesis 2 and verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So God is a worker, first mention. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Notice you rest on the seventh. Some people rest for six and then work on the seventh. It goes on to say, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Then verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. This was paradise, excuse me. Paradise needs work. Some of you married and you thought you'd be in paradise. It takes work. Oh, yep, there's Genesis, first mention. Paradise needs work. But man was put there to work, to create. And it says, and take care of it. You need to realize that before the fall, work was brought about. That's why today work is both satisfying and frustrating. Satisfying because you were created to create, but frustrating because you're living under the fall. By the sweat of your brow will you earn your living. Are you with me? And so it's very important to understand this law of first mention. We were created in God's image. And so we shouldn't just go to work grudgingly to pass the time. We should go to work to work and to create on God's behalf. We should be at work improving everything because we are there representing God. So let me give you five things this morning. Number one, the first thing about creating in your working world, your work is God's will. You want to know if you're working somewhere and it's God's will? If you're working, it's God's will as long as it's legal. If you're selling drugs and you're making a lot of money and driving a Ferrari, it ain't God's will. Even though it's work. Barely work. Do you know that not working is not a blessing, it's actually a curse? Some people, when they're not working, oh, I don't have to work. No, it's a curse. You should be working, listen to me, even if you're not earning money. Because it's bad for you not to. What do you mean? I'll only work if they pay me. That's your problem. You think work is only about money. No, it's about improving your life, developing you, and blessing other people. It's God's will. When the Reformation took place and Martin Luther began to speak about the Christian ethic, Catholics put people in monasteries and, and they had a different view, but the Reformation made everyone understand the dignity of their vocation. And Martin Luther said this. He said, as we do the work to which we have been called, we become the hands of God. God hides himself in our vocations, our careers. As we work and do household things, he is revealed to people through what we do. So if you don't wash the dishes properly, you're not showing the excellence of God. You know, I always have to wash the dishes. Can you see how attitude determines what you do? He goes on to say, our vocations are the mask of God. In other words, God's hiding behind your career. And as you work, he's revealed. As you manufacture, as you, you see, here's, here's what we don't understand. We think everything spiritual happens in church and everything unspiritual happens outside church. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, you seldom walk to your car and find the bread on the bonnet. <laughs> oh Lord, bless me with a car. You don't just suddenly find keys on the front mat. 
He generally uses other people to do it. When we pray, God, heal me. You see, here's where we have a problem. Oh, Rivers is a business church. But the power of God isn't there. Why? Because we don't bring you down to the front all the time and lay hands on you all the time and pray over you all the time. No, we believe that God uses vocations. So when I say God heal me, the doctors who are called by God, who are Christians who love us, they diagnose me. Don't clap. You will in a moment. The lab that tests my blood and the pharmacy that gives me a prescription are all instruments of God to heal me and to bless me. Now you can clap. I trust you're getting this in Kalami as well. They said amen. How many of you know God uses different, we can't manufacture our own cars. I can't make a car. I can't make my own clothes. Some of you can, but we, we can't produce our own bread. We can't kill our own chickens. Some of you do. But God uses all of us to bring about his will. And so we ought to do it well. We shouldn't do it half-heartedly because it's all about the money. No, it's all about the reason I'm alive. Because the law first mentioned says I was created to work, that I might continue in the theme of the creator and improve everything and love my neighbor. See, you don't understand. We talk about love God. We think it's praise and worship and then love our neighbor. Knock on the door and give him a tart every now and again. Hi. Or if you see the ball outside or it's in your yard, you kick it back. I love my neighbor. No, 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 that's too simple. How you love your neighbor is the close, your neighbor is the closest person in need. So when you serve a customer or when you hand documents to someone or when you represent someone in court or when you're building something or fixing something or when you're working on someone's house, you are glorifying God and loving your neighbor. I wanna to speak to all of you this morning. If you're a contractor and you're at Rivers Church, keep your word. Because you honor God and you love your neighbor. Contractors are notorious for starting. <laughs> Hi, I'm here. Bricks, cement, mess, then gone. Doesn't glorify God. It doesn't help your neighbor. <laughs> oh, am I making sense? I'm trying to make this relatable. You see, God's will is done through your work. And we need to understand that. You see, what I discovered, and, and when I studied this topic some time back already, I began to realize that how God is intended for us to work. We are all dependent on each other. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And, and we like to say, I'm not dependent on anyone. But you can't live without being dependent. In fact, from the time you're born, you're dependent on your parents. Then when you get older and you become weak, guess you're dependent on your children. We're all, every one of us needs someone else to provide something for us. You can't manufacture tires. So now you get resentful when you, and I, and I see people, they walk in the tire place. What? Don't be, what? Where did the price go up? It's so ridiculous. You know, it's like saying, go make your own. <laughs> go make your own. Because we've got this resentful perspective instead of, I'm dependent on you. And you're dependent on me. It's God's will. Design the world like that. You can make your life totally miserable or you can go to work and say, I'm creating on God's behalf. I'm gonna glorify him and I'm gonna love my neighbor. <laughs> By the way, Kyle, Army and Santon, I wanna say this to you. Marriage is an interdependent relationship. 
You don't come in it for, into it for your needs to be met. I want, I want. You come into it to bring. Husbands, what are you bringing? Wives, what are you bringing? What are you bringing? Because each has different needs. And when people stop working in a marriage for the glory of God and they stop loving their neighbor, which is their husband and wife, everything goes wrong. Tell you what, the word is simple. So God's work, your work, sorry, is God's will. Can you say amen? It's so important. And, and, and here's what people say, but you don't know where I work. You see, the problem is many of us have got big dreams, haven't we? Sure, you've all got big dreams. Here, here's how it works. You, you don't choose your job. God puts you somewhere, even though he's given you big dreams. Joseph, big dreams. But you see, if we've got dreams like Joseph, this is what we do. <laughs> Working here in Potiphar's house. <laughs> I want to remind you, Joseph, during the time, there's no running water. So every morning he would have gone under Potiphar's bed for the potty got big dreams, have to do this. <laughs> One day, Potiphar's gonna see. No, he didn't have that spirit. Thank God I've got a job, gee, I'm not dead. My brothers could have killed me. And I'm gonna do this, because one day, man, I'm gonna be in a position, so I'm gonna give my best year. And he used it as a training ground. Then he ends up in prison. <laughs> Call a protest, spray graffiti on the walls, no. He gives his best for the glory of God and he loves his neighbor and he ends up the head of the prison. See, it's not about money. It's about doing something that develops you. And he ends up eventually in the palace. Oh yes, that's where I wanna go. Well, the route to the palace is through the peapot. Is that okay? I don't go tweet that and Instagram that. I think it's a common word. Some of you, when you cross on the road, use worse words than that. I'm making sense this morning. See, what we tend to do with work is we wish we were doing something else. There's a book I read, it's called The Thinking Life by P.M. Forney. I studied it some time during November and December, but I read an interesting thing in there. Uh, the author says this, he says, we often spend our time, and, and, and you see people like this, they put stickers on their cars, I wish I were. I wish I were fishing. I wish I were bowling. I'd rather be bowling. I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be shopping. And basically, I don't want to be stuck in this traffic because I want you to know the kind of life I would like to live. You see, we're not engaged. And instead of spending our time six days working and then one day fishing, bowling, camping, or shopping, we want to spend six days doing that and one day work. And that's not how the world works. We admire people who are able to do that, but actually, it's not God's plan. Are you with me? Your work is God's will. Number two, your work is God's work. Your work is God's work. Work and business are spiritual. They're not unspiritual. We tend to think everything that happens in a church is spiritual. No, no, whatever you do in your workplace is very spiritual because you're creating goods and services on behalf of God. Are you with me? You're loving your neighbor. You can't just love your neighbor in here. You love your neighbor out there. For some of you, this is a challenge. But here, here's, here's a scripture that explains to us our involvement 
in life. And we tend to bring everything into church. So, so for instance, when we read scripture that says, each one's been given a gift, which they must use for the benefit of others. We go, yeah, I speak in tongues. Or I've been given a gift of prophecy. No, 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 it's not talking about that kind of gift only. Every gift you've got is not just for church services to play games. It's for the benefit of the population. God gifted you not for your glory, for his glory and the benefit of others. So notice this verse here, Colossians 1 and verse 15. It says the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, spiritual and material. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what he's saying is, Jesus created everything, and you need to be involved in everything so that you can bring his kingdom rule to everything. But we want the invisible. We want the spiritual. Now he says thrones, politics, business, go into every arena, and on my behalf, do my will and my work. Are you with me? Your work is not only God's will, but it's God's work. You're working on his behalf. Oh, but I'm, you know, I'm in engineering and I work with Greece. Well, Noah built an ark. It wasn't an altar with candles. Let's make the altar bigger. How many more candles, Dad? Another hundred. No, it was wooden nails. Every now and again, <laughs> when's the flood coming? In the end, that vehicle he built, God used it to save the world. But we tend to see the material as unimportant. God got Moses to build a tabernacle. Beautiful, eight tons of gold and silver. You think rivers is over the top? <laughs> we've just got brass in the foyer. See, we, we, you know what we've got? We've got a super spiritual attitude to life. In years, very spiritual, out there is carnal. People come to our church and they say, why do you have all this money spent on? Because you don't understand that we're not just spirit. Some churches are empty building, old carpets, because it's all spirit. And you better be full of spirit, otherwise you don't fit in. And you come in and the first thing you do is close your eyes. No, the Bible's created us, that God's created us, the Bible tells us, to be body, soul, and so when I walk into a shopping center, my soul is attracted to a neon light. And my soul sees signage. And my soul likes to sit on nice seats. And my soul likes to pick up nice garments. But then my spirit regulates me as to what I should spend. And guides me as to what's most practical. So when you come to a church, you encounter the soul. And then you worship together and you encounter the spirit. Why are we using a screen? So that your soul can receive something. This doesn't go into your spirit. <laughs> We'd have to sell LED screens to every church. No, am I making sense? See, we separate it out and then we get confused. And people want to spend more time in church than they want to spend at work. No, your work is where you worship. Because it's God's will and it's God's work. Am I making sense? You see, I was reading a book by Sunday, Pastor Sunday, Adelaja, brilliant man. He's written some 300 books. He pastors a church in Kiev, a brilliant, brilliant leader. And he says this, he says that Nigeria has the biggest church buildings in the world. 
They're trying to build one now, I think it is for 500,000 people. And, and there are many massive buildings. And he says, even though they have the largest church buildings, they have the lowest productivity despite having minerals, oil, and so on, and a large population. And he says, the reason there is no first world country in Africa is because we are too spiritual and we don't value time. We'd rather spend our time worshiping than working. How's that for a thought? Wait, it gets worse. I want to quote him here. In his book, one of the books, How Every African Nation Can Become a First World Nation. He says, the Protestant work ethics teaches people how to become financially independent by investing in small, medium, and large-scale businesses. In other words, start your own business or get involved in a business. Our pastors, speaking about Nigeria, teach people to bring their monies to church as tithe offerings and prophetic seeds and hope on God for survival. I think the same is happening in South Africa. The church is springing up. They run meetings every day of the week. And they look at us and they go, oh, they're not spiritual. We're in revival. No, you're not. You're keeping people away from work. Oh, but they're unemployed. Yeah, they should be doing something. Because being in church all the time doesn't build a nation. He says prayer and church services don't create a first world nation. Now, you know I'm for church services, and I'm for prayer, and I'm for worship. He says this. He said, take a country like Norway. 2% of the population go to church, but it's the most productive nation in the world. Why? Because they spend their time producing for the benefit of other people, not they spend their time in church. Now, Norway needs to be saved. People need to come to Christ. But he draws the parallel and talks about being productive, and we need productivity. Christians should be working. And we should be, South Africa should be known for when you come to South Africa. But instead, we're depleting. Service to, if someone would just keep the lights on. <laughs> I love our nation. I love its people. I pray for the government. Notice different words I use there. Leonard Boswell said this, he's a member of Congress, and he said the American work ethic is something to be admired. Our workforce, regardless of position, works hard to produce the best product and serve customers to the best of their ability. That should be said about us. And anywhere where a Christian is, that should be said of us. But unfortunately, it's not. He says here, in, in, in one of his books, and I wanna quote this again, Sunday at Elijah, he, he, he talks about nations, stay with me here. He says, the amount of time given to manufacturing, in other words, creating activities in any nation, determines to a large extent how large the economy of that nation will be. In first world countries, there are numerous factories and manufacturing companies. Statistics of the world's manufacturing output in 2015 revealed that Chinese manufacturing output was the highest in the world with two trillion. He then says the USA manufacturing output was $1.9 trillion, that is, second highest in the world, and then he comes to the UK. Their manufacturing output was $244 billion. They were ninth 
highest in the world. He then says, dear friends, it is easy to see from the statistics above why China, USA, and UK are among the world's leading economies today. The reason is simply because of the number of factories and manufacturing activities that go on in these nations. It will be impossible for any nation to become a first world nation if it does not use its wealth of time to engage in manufacturing, creating activities. During the industrial era in America, Henry Ford built a car company that was manufacturing four cars a minute, 240 cars per hour, 6,000 per day. And then he goes on to say, as a result of that, the country was paving roads, building bridges, more cars were creating more jobs in the steel, glass, and rubber manufacturing industries. Detroit was booming, people were coming from across the country and the world to learn from them. Ford was the most important man in the most important industry, in the most important economy in the world. And why was he that? Because he was manufacturing, creating. We wanna take this nation ahead, we've got to create. Your work is the will of God, and your work is God's work. Number three, your work can make a huge difference. When you go to work, you can make a difference. I know you feel like you don't, but you do. Even a person working in, in Steers or McDonald's or one of these burger places is in the back in a kitchen turning over burgers. You're making a difference. Someone is biting into that thing in their car as they drive away. Mmm, mmm, mm, as it's all over your clothes usually. Mm, but you don't see that. You know, all I do is in the back here and all that pain and then they come and moan and it's not my job and, no, no, as a Christian, you, no, no, I was created to work and I'm currently doing this work, but guess what, I've got big dreams. So watch them, I'm gonna be the best burger guy. They're gonna put me in charge here. You gotta get our attitude right. We must do what we do to glorify God and to help people. And you know, when you lift your attitude, guess what, everyone gets lifted. Even in mundane jobs. You remember the Wright brothers, they invented the airplane? Eh? And, and, and Thomas Sowell, who I hugely respect, he, he's written some 42 books, he, he says this about the Wright brothers, I love it. Such an, uh, such an uh, uh, exciting uh, uh, saying, he says here, when the Wright brothers rose off the ground, we all rose off the ground. See, when you create something, everyone's lifted, isn't that true? And we've got to encourage people. And when the, cell, when the iPhone was created, everybody's like, wow. But can I just pause you for a moment? We want to make a difference, not just with the product, but in our relationship. Because you can glorify God with what you create, but you also got to glorify God in your relationships. Two great entrepreneurs in the world who've invented two amazing things, Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. You've all heard of them? One created the electric car, the Tesla company, and the other one's I've most notably built the cell phone, the iPhone. But you know what? Both of them treated their staff badly. Do you know that Steve Jobs was known for being one of the meanest people? At one time, he had never washed for three months and came into the boardroom with stinking feet and put them on the boardroom table. I don't like the iPhone so much anymore. <laughs> and Elon Musk, with all his brilliance, this was what was said about him in a book called Elon Musk, Tesla, SpaceX, and the Quest for a Fantastic Future. One of his employees, ex-employees, anonymously said this about him. Listen to this. He said, Elon's worst trait by far, in my opinion, is a complete lack of loyalty, in other words, to his staff, or human connection. Many of us worked tirelessly for him for years and were tossed to the curb like a piece of litter without a second thought. Maybe it was calculated to keep the rest of the workforce on their toes and even scared. Maybe he was just able to detach from human connection 
to a remarkable degree. In other words, it was weird that he could do that. But here's what he said. What was clear is that people who worked for him were like ammunition used for a specific purpose until exhausted and discarded. No Christian should work and treat people like that even if they produce the most amazing product because we glorify God and we love our neighbor and we only make a real difference when we do that because I don't want to be remembered for any invention or any big church. I want to be remembered for my human connection because that's the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor. Am I making sense? See, George Frederick Handel, the great German composer, he was, uh, was always writing beautiful music and it wasn't just Christian music, but he would always write JJ at the beginning, Jesus, Juva, help me Lord. And at the end, SDG, for the glory of God. And he says here, uh, his close friend rather, John Hawkins said of him, he Handel would frequently declare the pleasure he felt in setting the scriptures to music and how contemplating the many sublime passages in the Psalms had contributed to his edification. You can enjoy what you do, and you can make a difference to what you do if you glorify God, but you need to know it's his will, and that his work is your work. Number four, are you with me? If you want a better world, create it. So many people are complaining about South Africa, complaining about the world. Well, if you want a better one, create it. Are you with me? In 1931, Nicholas Murray Butler was the president of Columbia University, and he made a famous statement that's been often quoted by people. He says, there are people who make things happen, there are people who watch things happen, and there are people who wonder what happened. <laughs> to be successful, he says, you need to be a person who makes things happen. See, many of us complain, and especially students who haven't been alive long, Yet they know how the world should work. It's interesting. Eh? Anyway, I was there once. You want a better world. You want to protest for a better world, but you don't want to create a better world. Every one of us, as we go to work, can make a better South Africa. Even when we're on the road, when a robot is out, we can stop. If there's no cars around at all, then you know, you're on an open, deserted place. But if you, you stop, if it's red, you stop. But you know what? We no longer respect each other. We just want to take and take and rob and steal and be corrupt, and then we expect the nation to grow. Now, you want a better South Africa? It's not going to come from laws. It's going to come from individuals whose hearts are changed to understand their vocation and their calling. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, and a lot of people, oh, but it's easy for you. You see, we keep using our bad background or our upbringing to justify why we don't contribute. But none of us has an excuse. You may have heard of a man called Elijah McCoy. Lived way back in 1844. A black man born, uh, freeborn, but his parents were slaves who escaped to Canada. They later moved back to the States and lived there in a segregated community under the segregation laws of the 1800s. And he was later sent at 15 by passage to Scotland where he managed to be given some studies and uh, uh, some opportunity. He became a mechanical engineer and uh, he invented a device 
lubricating device that they fitted to machines. In the old days, they would stop a machine and have to oil it with an oil can. And so steam engines and everything, machines had to stop. But he invented this thing. It, it lubricated it while it was running. It was his patent, 51 patents he registered. He was one of the most esteemed black men of his time. Booker T. Washington reckoned he was one of the most, uh, most innovative entrepreneurs in history as a black man. Anyway, what happened was he didn't have the money to pursue his inventions. He, he made some of them, and people would copy them, but eventually he founded the McCoy Company, and he produced his own, and he did really well. And the reason people used to copy was because they couldn't get enough of it. That's where the saying comes from, is it the real McCoy? And all the time you thought it was some Scotsman when it was a man born of slaves. You see, it's not where you come from, it's what's in you. And when you start to use it for the glory of God, you'll be amazed. You can create. You want a better world? Create it. Thomas Sowell, who I usually respect some 42 books he's written, 88 years old now, he was speaking to students, and I want you to pay special attention to what I wanna read now. He was speaking to students, because students are always the one protesting, even in America, they complain about everything. America, they hate America. They just about hate everybody, as you can see on Instagram. They're always, always in some march or other. Should be working. Just a thought. Forgive me for my perspective. Are you good in Kalami? They said amen. Let's read. This is what he says in speaking to students. He says, if you want to see more people have better housing, build it. Become a builder or developer. If you can stand the sneers and disdain of your classmates and the professors who regard the very words as repulsive. Would you like to see more things become more affordable to more people? Then figure out more efficient ways of producing things and more efficient ways of getting those things from the producers to the consumers at lower prices. That's what Sam Walton did. He created Walmart in the process. And he says this, that's what the greed that you have heard your classmates and professors denounce so smugly. If so, it has been such greed that has repeatedly brought prices down and thereby brought the American standard of living up. Back at the beginning of the 20th century, 15% of American families had a flush toilet. One quarter had running water. Only 3% had electricity and 1% had central heating. Only one out of every 100 people owned a car. By 1970, a vast majority of American families who were living in poverty had flush toilets, running water, electricity. By the end of the 20th century, more Americans were connected to the internet than were connected to a water pipe or a sewerage line at the beginning of the century. More families had air conditioning today than had electricity then. Today, more than half of all families with incomes below the official poverty line own a car or a truck and have a microwave. This didn't come about because of the politicians, bureaucrats, activists, or others in public service that are, we're supposed to admire. No nation ever protested its way from poverty to prosperity or got there through rhetoric or bureaucracies. It was Thomas Edison who brought us electricity, not the Sierra Club. In our case, no one's bringing us electricity. <laughs> it was the Wright brothers who got us off the ground, not the Federal Aviation Commission. It was Henry Ford who ended the isolation of millions of Americans by making the car affordable, not Ralph Nader 
He's a political activist. Those who've helped the poor the most have not been those who've gone around loudly expressing compassion for the poor, but those who found ways to make industry more productive and distribution more efficient so that the poor of today can afford things that the affluent of yesterday could only dream about. He wraps up by saying, if we want a better world, we have to create it, not just trust people in government to give it to us by some magic. You have a gift and you have a contribution, you can make a difference. Number five, creative productivity is the answer to poverty. People think that poverty can be solved by spreading everyone's money around, it can't. Because in the end, everyone's poor. The Bible tells us that productivity is what does it. Notice this verse in Proverbs 28. He that tilleth his land, it's the American Standard Version, shall have plenty, but he that follows after vain persons shall have poverty enough. So if you listen to people who talk, big talk, you'll have poverty. But if you get on with it and you graft, guess what? In your immediate vicinity, you can produce. It's very quiet in these Methodist churches that I'm speaking in this morning. Are you receiving this? You see, someone put it like this. In a book called Create or Hate, a book by Dan Norris, good title. He says this, I can't tell you how to be successful, but I can tell you that if you don't make anything, you won't be successful. Successful people make things. Let, let, me, let me illustrate like this and I'm nearly done. Do you remember when there was a famine in Egypt and Pharaoh had this dream and then he called for Joseph and Joseph interpreted the dream? Remember Pharaoh said there would be, uh, Joseph said there would be seven years of plenty and then there would be seven years of famine. When you read it, you automatically, oh, oh so there was just seven years of plenty. No, there were seven normal years. And then there were seven years of famine. What Joseph did was to get them to be super productive. If you study Genesis 42, they became super productive and they saved. And as a result, they got through recession or famine. Do you know why most of us complain when there's recession? Because we don't have anything saved and we haven't produced enough and put it away. When recession comes, people who've got money saved, who've been very productive, they laugh. <laughs> Interest rates are going up. Thank you, baby, bring it. And we're like, nom, 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 this government, nom, nom. what you need to do with your life is be productive and save. Be productive and save. Be productive and save. And then when hard times come, oh, we've got some saved. Unexpected medical, oh, we've got something saved. Oh, the car needs stars, we've got something saved. Why? Because we were productive. But the world we're living in says, no, no one needs to be productive. Their new philosophies that they want to bring us, where we don't have to be productive, but we can all be rich. It is impossible. We have to work for the glory of God. It's God's will. It's God's work. We can make a difference. And if you want a better world, create it. And poverty, the answer to poverty in South Africa is productivity. Can you say Amen. Before I pray with you this morning, our time is gone. I wanna pray with everyone in the room. Don't move if you, unless you have to. I was reading about the Union train station in America, built in 1931, eventually demolished in 1972. It had these beautiful mosaics all around the station. And when they decided to break the station down, they thought the, these six meter murals, they were lost because the walls were crumbling and the murals were crumbling. And they thought we could never save them. We can't take them out block by block. 
The walls are falling apart. That's why they broke the station down. A man by the name of Alfred Moore came up with an idea. He built a frame around each mural and he fixed it to the mural. Then what he did was they broke the wall away behind and they started to cement it, to gunite. You know like swimming pools? They gunited it till eventually he had attached it to something solid and they were able to take these eight ton murals off and put them in the airport. If you go to America today, to Cincinnati, they're in the airport. You see, everything in life crumbles. Only that which is attached to something strong endures. You see, you see what happens in life is we, we attach ourselves to things that crumble and then our whole life crumbles. We've got to not attach ourselves to our family, to our work. We first got to attach ourselves to God. Then the true beauty of our life is reflected. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.